You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Hey, this is Mado. Thank you for listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. This episode is about keeping your classes fresh. Many of you know that one of the major inspirations for this podcast was a project, is a project that I'm still working on, to speak with 100 yoga teachers on the phone. And even though every single phone conversation ended up being different from all the rest. It was kind of like a little surprise every time I'd get on the phone with somebody, where is this, where is this conversation going to go? There were threads and there are threads that keep coming up over and over. And this is one of them, how to keep your classes fresh. That phrase, staying fresh or keeping classes fresh came up again and again. So here's what I heard from people in possibly you, that you don't want your classes to feel boring or repetitive. You don't want to teach the same thing every class. You want your students to stay engaged. And you might even feel some pressure to keep bringing new sequences, new ways of teaching, and new themes to your students. So in this episode, I'm going to share a mindset shift to help you think about this topic that that might be new to you and that will hopefully ease any anxiety that you might have around it. I'll also share the two key components for keeping your teaching fresh and inspired. And at the end, we'll talk about what to do if these techniques stop working. So let's start with the mindset shift. I believe that the concept of staying fresh and inspired is really for you as a teacher. I don't believe that your students Notice as much as you think if you teach the same things over and over, as long as you're engaged with what you're teaching. I don't think they care. Remember, and this is something that I did talk about with many of you if you had a phone conversation with me, that the two most popular styles of yoga in the world right now have set sequences. So this is Bikram and Ashtanga. As far as I know, I don't, I don't actually have statistics, but based on my conversations with people, especially outside the U.S., but even inside, these are, these are two of the most popular yoga styles, and they have the exact same sequence every class. So this is actually very popular. People like familiarity. Now, I do hear the objection sometimes that if people wanted a set sequence, they would attend classes in those two styles. And that might be true, but it's also very possible that your students have never even heard of those styles. They, you know, a lot of times people just go to the type of yoga that's available. So you need to trust that they are showing up for you because they feel connected to you and they trust you. I would also say that if people truly want variety, chances are that they're actually going to attend classes with several teachers. And that's fine. And I think we should encourage people to take classes from from multiple teachers because they're going to get a bigger variety of experience 
from taking classes from multiple teachers versus one teacher who keeps trying to switch things up, which is also fine and wonderful if that's what keeps you excited. So the takeaway is you need to teach in a way that inspires you. When you do that, when you focus on what you're excited about, you're going to inspire your students, whether it happens to be the same thing over and over or new things. If you want to change things up because it helps you, then absolutely. I've got some ideas later on down if you're feeling like you do need to think to switch things up and that that would help you and your practice. On the other hand, if you're perfectly happy to teach and practice the exact same sequence, the exact same class, maybe with the exact same theme, please feel empowered to go for it and to know that most students won't notice and the students that resonate with what you're teaching are going to show up. And when we stay authentic with what we are actually passionate about ourselves, I believe that we actually get more students. So when I, just a kind of little anecdote to support this, when I first started teaching, I was teaching at the YMCA and I had a lot of ideas about how yoga should be taught. Um, and I was super surprised that, that the most popular teacher at the Y taught the exact same thing every single time. And not only that, but she practiced along with the class with her eyes closed. So her teaching was her own practice time, which of course in my teacher training was, it was um, strongly emphasized that it should not be. And people loved it and they got a lot out of it. And to my knowledge, she is still teaching those classes and they're still full and people are still getting a lot out of it. So hopefully that helps to um, relieve a bit of the second arrow. And if you don't know what I'm talking about with the second arrow, it's a concept that I learned from Tara Brock, who's a Buddhist meditation teacher. And if you like podcasts, I highly recommend her podcasts. She teaches a Dharma talk every week and a meditation every week. So it's really, really awesome and powerful. So the second arrow is the arrow of judgment. So first we have an experience that's already kind of negative, for example, feeling less inspired about our classes. And then the second arrow is, is the judgment that we might have around that. So as much as possible, we want to recognize what's the initial reaction that we're having, what's the initial uncomfortable experience, and where are we making it worse with our stories around it? How can we let go of that? Moving on to the two main elements, the two main categories of ways to keep your classes fresh. These are not new by any means. You're not going to be surprised by this, but hopefully I'll have some helpful angles on it. Number one is personal practice, and number two is studying with a teacher. So personal practice, it's kind of, um, how, how do I put this? It's kind of like a, not quite an oxymoron, but it's a little bit of a paradox in that sometimes our personal practice does become rote and become stale, and yet that regularity, which causes it to become stale, is essential to keeping our classes fresh. So if you're not, if your personal practice is not regular, then that's the first place to look. 
if you're a newer teacher, then I would say a daily yoga practice, even if it's not super long, even if it's 20 minutes a day, is going to be really important. If you are more experienced, I think that you can cut back a little bit and, and teach at least as many days per week as classes per week. So if you're only teaching one class a week and you have years and years of a daily personal practice behind you, you could cut back, especially if you have other exercise, other forms of exercise that you're now incorporating into your life. Um, as a newer teacher, definitely daily is going to be the most effective. And that can be really tough. I have always struggled to create a daily ritual, daily time for myself. And what I'm learning, <laughs> you know, this is kind of uh, different from what I expected my life would be like and my personality would be like, but I have to block it off. I have to treat it like an appointment. I have to treat it like sacred time. So I, I put it in my schedule. I know exactly when I have an appointment with myself to practice. And even that might not be enough. If you struggle with follow through, then you may need a structure for accountability. And I know that myself and a lot of other people even like a peer-to-peer -peer structure sometimes isn't effective. So do some work on yourself, some self-study, and perhaps it might be worth paying a coach, paying somebody to hold you accountable, like a life coach, um, a yoga teacher that you really respect, that you might pay for some private sessions or even some just like quick phone calls of accountability. Now, I understand that that's not within the financial means of everybody. Um, so for some people, a peer mentorship where you kind of uh, hook up with somebody else in the same boat can work. And also sometimes working with a coach on mindset in a more one-off sort of situation can help also. So I would, if possible, I would, number one, hire somebody on a regular basis. If that's not possible, I would combine a peer mentorship, preferably with somebody else who's working with the same coach. And that coach kind of maybe has like a one-on-two session with you to help set you guys up for success. Or if that's still not, you know, not going to happen at this point, just a straight peer mentorship can work. Um, but here's the thing. If you're already having trouble with accountability, then, then for some people, that's not going to be enough. Now, I do want to invite you to use the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group to find somebody. So if you're not a member, you can go to teachingyoga.net and click on the Join Our Community tab. Once you're a member... Just create a post asking for an accountability buddy, and I bet you'll find somebody. The next thing to think about with your personal practice is what your practice space is like. Do you have a dedicated practice space? And again, that's 
not going to be available for everyone, but the more that we can create some container around our practice, the more supportive that's going to be. So for example, my practice space is not dedicated solely to yoga. It's actually uh, also my uh, toddler's playroom. But I don't practice while she's home and I have a door that I can close. And there's something really sweet around, about practicing with her colorful toys all around me. I do clean up. I do make sure to, to keep that clean and decluttered. I don't personally have an altar in there because that's, that's just not realistic. But I know for a lot of people, even say if you don't have kids, you have a living room, your living room is your practice space. Maybe you could create an altar just to remind yourself that your practice is sacred. The next piece of your practice to think about is, okay, so how does it feel when you get to your yoga mat? Do you feel inspired or do you feel confused? Do you feel really clear on what you want to do that day? Or do you sit there and kind of wait for inspiration to strike? I know that for me, one of the things that's evolved is an understanding that I can't, I can no longer only trust my intuition for my personal practice. And I think that this is an important conversation to have because I know that teacher trainings are different, but, and, and there's, there's just a lot of unspoken assumptions made in the yoga world. And the message that I received is that if you are a true practitioner, your intuition will guide you always in the right direction. And even though I actually really respect people who teach about intuition and, and invite people to do inner listening, I think that's a really important, valuable component of practice. I think it can go too far and there can be, um, again, this, this sense that if you're doing it right, your intuition is going to be right. And, and I don't think that's actually true. I've had to, over time, understand that our brains love habit. So the longer that we have a practice, the more likely, more likely we are for our practice to be habitual. And that could be super nourishing, but it could also be avoiding the things that are hard. And that's the pattern that I got into is that, you know, <laughs> I'm going to be really honest with you guys here, but <laughs> I would like get onto my yoga mat and I'd, you know, I'd, I'd do a few sun salutations and I'd, I'd figure out like within like 20 or 30 minutes, I'd always be just like laying on the ground and like Supta Baddha Konasana. And I eventually got to the place where I was like, okay, I think there's a part of me that's really lazy and I might need to put some, uh, some mental effort into creating a structure for myself so that I'm continuing to press into my own edges and, and grow in the places that I'm weak. And, and, you know, a lot of this does come from working with an outside teacher so that they can give you feedback. But right now I'm talking about the internal teacher, which is someone that we want to 
invite in as as yoga teachers. We want to get, befriend our our inner teacher, and our it, it's not always just like a passive listening to to whatever is inspiring in the moment. And part of the reason I say that is because there becomes this this pressure, like, oh, I'm not hearing anything, or I must not be doing it right because I'm not I'm not progressing or I'm not feeling inspired. So some there's a lot of room and space for outside input into your personal practice. Now, the caveat here is I totally understand that for some people, you may not be struggling with your personal practice. Your personal practice might be amazing. And if that is you and your personal practice is really serving you right now, then just listen to these suggestions that I'm about to give with the, just a thought like, okay, maybe in the future these might be helpful for me. And, um, and just know that it's awesome if your personal practice is really fulfilling. I, I, would, I would savor and uh, appreciate that and know that it may not last forever. Um, so just really enjoy it while that's the case. Okay, so say you're not in that, in that mode. Say your personal practice is, is more challenging. You get to your mat, but you either feel like you're doing the same old thing or you just don't feel it. Here are some ideas. You can put on some different music than what you're used to and start by just dancing around. Uh, for example, I actually really love classical music. That kind of puts me in this really lovely, focused and relaxed mode. But it could be rap or it could be whatever. Just something that's going to get you moving and get your blood flowing. You could also go for a walk or a run before you get on your yoga mat. And I find that helpful because I personally get bored with sun salutations as a warm-up. Um, sometimes I love them, but I don't want to do them every day. And I mean, there are other things that I can do as a warm-up, but I really love coming to my mat already a little bit physically warm. Another thing you could do is imagine that you are your own private student and think through what would you program for yourself? Could you write yourself a plan for a week or two and follow it and follow your, your more logical teacher for a bit as opposed to expecting your intuitive teacher to know everything? Try to, try to come at it from a, a place of imagining yourself as your student. Another thing you could do is actually change up your location. If the weather is nice, you can go outside. Or if it's cold, you could build a fire and maybe move in front of the fireplace. And finally, I think it would be completely or possibly helpful and very okay to sometimes put on an audio yoga class. I'm not so big on video because I don't like watching. I like to be able to close my eyes. But put on an audio class or video if you like it better. Allow yourself to be led for a bit, but pause occasionally. And definitely pause if you're feeling like, oh, I want to stay longer. You know, have this relationship between, 
between you and the teacher in the in the video where they're kind of keeping the momentum going they're giving you some ideas but you're also empowered to do something else any moment that you want another approach another thing to think about is meditation if you don't usually meditate i recommend doing your movement practice first and then your meditation but for some people they actually have a strong meditation practice and struggle with the physical practice. If that is the case, I also recommend moving first and use your meditation as a reward or you can you can even you can even intersperse meditation, especially if you have that that strong relationship with it. Pop, like start with a little meditation and then move a little and then anytime you start to feel confused, set a timer sit for two minutes and then go back to it or five minutes or whatever and play with that. Okay. I hope some of those helpful, some of those ideas sounded interesting to you to help revitalize your practice. Remember though, that the consistency of your practice needs to come first. Like that doesn't have to be the same time or the same place, but it has to be regular, hopefully daily if you're a new teacher. The second piece of keeping your practice fresh, of course, is studying with other people. And sometimes that means senior teachers, people who've been teaching a lot longer than you, but sometimes it can be with your peers and even people who've been teaching a lot less time than you. So I highly recommend trying classes in very different styles than you normally practice, knowing that you're still empowered to take care of your body. So for example, if you tend to, to teach and practice gentle yoga, you can attend a power vinyasa. And if, you know, if, that, if, if that's just what works for your schedule or the location, be open-minded and still take care of yourself. Still move slowly, rest when you want to. Just like with your personal practice, I recommend scheduling in classes to attend. A fun project could be one new class per week for a certain period of time, like let's say three months or six months or a year. You get a lot of input <laughs> if you did that for a year. That'd be pretty awesome. In addition to just taking a class in a different style, you could definitely travel to take a workshop somewhere else. I do find that as, you know, sometimes wonderful teachers travel to your area and give workshops and that can be more accessible. But if it is possible to travel to take a workshop, then what you're going to get is sometimes different, especially if you're, if you're really uh, doing the research to try to find something that's not available in your area. There, what I've noticed, one thing that I've noticed which is not a bad thing, but it's, it's influenced me and, and the workshops that I choose to take is that people in the same area tend to cross-pollinate a lot. So there are trends and styles and cues that are really common in one region and not another. So I love, I mean, even if you don't go to a workshop in a different area, if you even just travel and take classes in a different area, like you happen to be traveling anyway, try to find some yoga classes. That can, that can be really fun and it can 
inspire you just to like get this different take, this different perspective of this new area. There are also more and more online courses. And online courses have their limitations. You know, they, you don't get the same energy uh, that you do studying in person with somebody, but they're a lot more accessible. They tend to be a lot more affordable than you can do them on your own time, your own schedule. Um, so I, I definitely recommend building in some online coursework, um, especially if you can find a course that is something really different from what you usually study. And with that, I really think it's valuable to study complementary disciplines. So if you're like me and you've been teaching yoga for, you know, a decade or, or longer, then you might find that when you do attend yoga workshops, that there's only like a little bit of new information in each workshop because understandably the teacher is trying to get everyone up to speed and they can't, you know, they can't make assumptions about what everybody knows. So then that makes it a lot harder to justify, uh, you know, the price tag and the time off work and possibly the travel. <laughs> so I am currently in the, you know, the place that I'm at in my teaching, I'm finding so much value in studying complementary disciplines like Pilates or other movement disciplines, Buddhism, psychology, even even something like dance. Like, but it's just got to be whatever is interesting to you and exciting to you. And there may not be a whole lot of overlap, but it's about it's about like the energy that it's going to give you. Or at least maybe I'm just a big nerd, which we all know that I already am. But I love learning new things, and it makes me excited. And it, and I, you know it like lights me up and I can bring that back to my classes. So there are a whole bunch of ideas of ways to keep your practice fresh. And as I said in the beginning, none of these are revolutionary. None of these are, are super original, but it can, it can be helpful to have them laid out and just to remind yourself, oh yeah, that's, that's what really works for me. On the other hand, I do want to address what if, what if you try all of these and, and it doesn't work? What if you feel completely uninspired to teach and nothing that you try helps? If that is the case, it's time for a serious gut check. Even though this list of ideas that came out of my head, you know, right now, it's not random I'm not the first or only teacher to give this advice. This is the essence of the advice you will hear from experienced yoga teachers all around the world. So if none of this works, then there's some deeper inquiry to be done. And the gut check that I want, I would invite you to do is, is it possible that you might be burnt out and that what you actually might need is a break from teaching? I know that might sound radical or even scary, but it's important to consider. And first of all, know that you're not alone, that many, many yoga teachers experience burnout. It's pretty common, but people don't talk about it a lot, especially on social media, because it doesn't fit the story that they believe will help attract people to their classes. 
So if you cannot imagine yourself not teaching at all, but you know you're teaching too much, you might also consider cutting back. And quitting or cutting back might involve something crazy like getting a job and a, a different job or getting more hours at a job or taking on a different side hustle. I know that the idea of cutting back on teaching or taking a break from teaching might feel like you're admitting defeat. And I want to say that I don't see it that way. Teaching yoga is a very difficult way to make a living. And sometimes when we take a break, we can actually gain some perspective and we might be able to come back. You might be able to come back to teaching in a more sustainable way, in a way that makes more sense. And, you know, you might see something and get some ideas and shift your perspective around teaching in a way that you can't when you're burnt out, when you can't when you're just doing that grind of teaching these classes that you don't feel inspired to teach. Now, I understand that being a yoga teacher, especially if you've been a yoga teacher for a long time, might be a very important part of your identity. So that can be very hard to let go of and it can bring up a lot of resistance. However, I do believe that to at least do the thought experiment, the thought experiment of letting go of your egoic identity as a yoga teacher is a very deep yoga practice. So here's a um, here's a, a, a practice opportunity for all of us, whether we feel burnt out or not. Who would I be if I were not a yoga teacher? Can you sit with that for a minute? Who would you be if you were not a yoga teacher? That might be a good thing to get comfortable with. Not because I think you should stop teaching. That's completely up to you. But because I want you to teach because it really makes sense for you and it brings you joy and not because you're stuck in an idea that you, you need to be a teacher. So if you aren't sure whether you're burnt out or not, but you kind of have this sneaking feeling in your gut that there's something there, what would be a great idea is to check in with the people who know and love you the best, the ones who you know will give it to you straight and ask them what they think about a, a break in teaching or cutting back. The beautiful thing about taking a break is that you can give yourself permission to just be a student again. And the attitude of studentship has a different quality from, from the attitude of being a teacher. And it might feel really wonderful and refreshing. So whether you do decide to take a break or cut back or try some of the other ideas above, I really hope that this episode has been helpful to you. My invitation to you this week is to do a quick assessment of your personal practice. If you're able to grab a pen and paper and write these down right now, that'd be great. Uh, pause after each question to, to write your answer. But if you're on the move, no worries. I will put these in the show notes at teachingyoga.net slash 002. First question, how many days a week are you getting on your yoga mat? And part B to that, how many days a week 
would you like to be practicing? How many days a week do you think is ideal for you? Question two, on a scale of zero, feeling like a slug, and 10, feeling like, I don't know what the word, the, it's coming, angel is coming to me, but that is wrong, but just feeling like, um, you know, joy and inspiration, on a scale of one to 10, how inspired, on average, do you feel during your personal practice? Question three, which one idea that I mentioned above or a different idea that you have thought of yourself, are you willing to try at least one? You could try three or five or all of them, but which idea that to, to invigorate your practice would you like to commit to? And number four, as an option, if you happen to be a member of the private Facebook group for this podcast, the Yoga Teacher Resource Community on Facebook, I would love it if you would go onto the Facebook page and let us know what, what you're committing to. If you haven't joined yet, teachingyoga.net is the website, and there's a tab that says Join Our Community. Click that tab, and it'll give you a link to request a membership to the private Facebook page. If you're on Facebook, I really hope that you'll consider joining the community. It's really special to me to get to have some interaction with people who are listening to this podcast because right now I'm just talking into a microphone. So I really do want to hear what you think and get your feedback. On that note, thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time and sticking with me all the way through. I really appreciate it. I hope that you will join again next week where I will be having a conversation with one of my dear friends, Anna Ferguson. Anna is a longtime yoga teacher and one of the founders of Sacred Roots Wellness, which teaches yoga for trauma teacher trainings all around the Southeast. We are going to be talking about the yamas and the niyamas and using them as a framework for dealing with difficult situations. So that's a pretty rich topic and I'm excited about it. Anna is super smart, but she's also great at taking complex topics and making them very accessible and easy to understand. So please join me next week for that really important conversation. And until then, have an amazing week.